welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! I'm excited for this morning because, well, first of all, I just want to say this, that like, I love this weekend. I love what it represents. But for us, you know, for those that know Jesus in relationship, every day is a Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Although we might celebrate it differently on this weekend and put extra emphasis on it during this weekend, the life of the believer who follows Jesus really is represented in the fact that without a resurrection, there would be no life. With only a death, Jesus would have been like and would be like every other small G God. But Jesus, he's Big Papa. And he loves it when you call him Big Papa because he's Big G. He's Top G. He's Big G. Capital G. Everyone say Capital G. He said about himself that I am the one-way truth and life, that no one can come to the Father except through me. I am the bridge. I am the door. I am the gate. And so we celebrate the door. We celebrate the gate today. That was open. It was swung wide open for you and I. Isn't that amazing? On this day, not only was the tomb door swung wide open, you were invited into a permanent relationship with him where he would never leave you, never abandon you, never forsake you. It's an amazing promise. It's good news. It's so good. It's too good to be true. The gospel message that Jesus came to bring was considered a scandalous one. Think of the the biggest scandal you've ever, ever heard of in your life. Read the papers, the news reports. Think of that and then times it by a thousand and you have a bigger scandal in the gospel. Jesus came and flipped the whole religious system on its head. He was a scandalous man. He was persecuted and crucified by his own. That's how scandalous the message was that he came to represent. So I just believe this today, that you are moving forward today. And you're going to leave some things behind. And I'm praying that you don't leave the same this morning. I know i got only a few few minutes with you. I say few, but really a few means lower, lower exaggeration, quite a bit of minutes. Not that many, though. And I just believe that God is going to do an amazing thing in your life this morning. If you'd be open. I, I woke up this morning. It was super strange. I, I woke up this morning, and I feel like it was God because it was like I woke up out of my sleep, out of my dream, and I saw this statement and heard this statement in my head as I woke up. It was immediately. And this is what I heard. I can't, <laughs> I can't stand a culture that wants to receive, yet is so busy that they cannot. That's what I heard. I can't stand a culture that wants to receive, yet is so busy that they cannot. And I was thinking about this. You coming here today is slowing down the busyness and saying, hey, God, I'm open to receive what you want. We all want to receive life, right? So we go to drugs, we go to, we go to sex, we go to all these different things in life to gratify and give us what the, what the void is crying out for. The spiritual void is crying out for joy, crying out for pleasure, crying out for what we were designed for. We were created as human beings for pleasure. But that pleasure was to be connected in context to our relationship with God. And yet when we don't have that relationship with God, that void cries out, well, do this and do that and medicate, self-medicate, go watch Netflix for nine hours because you might feel better about yourself. Ignore the problems, ignore the struggles, just, just bury your head in the sand. It's called the ostrich syndrome. Just put your head in the sand and hope everything goes away. But really your spirit's crying out for what only he can give in relationship. And so we want something to fill the void, yet we're so busy that we can't stop to receive what God really wants to give us. But you being here today, I believe, is one of those moments where you're stopping, slowing yourself down. You could have been doing other things. You could have been 
sitting at home, watching your favorite TV show right this morning, but you came to church. Congratulate yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, congratulations, you came to church. And you smell good too. You smell good too. I believe that in this season, for many of you in this room, what has been cloudy is no longer going to be cloudy. I was praying for you last night and, I, and everybody that was going to come here and whether or not a lot of the people are out there with their kids, I hope they hear these words, but I, I really believe that cloudiness is moving away out of your life in this season. And that some of the hard ground, some of the hard things in your life that have been really hard to move forward in are going to get, are going to get softer. It's going to get easier. And if you just let God in a little bit in this season, even today, you watch in the next few weeks, the next few months, you're going to see a major shift in your life. God wants to be a part of every part of your life. He's just waiting for the invitation. He's waiting for you to just open up your heart, open up your life, open up your mind. I'm declaring to you today, this is my declaration over you, this is my faith statement over you today, that it's moving day. It's moving day. You know, when you're moving, you got to leave some stuff behind, right? You got to leave some, throw some, some, some things out, right? When, when you've moved on, you usually leave some things to reflect that you've moved on. And I want to read this passage real quick, even though this isn't my main passage, but I want to read this passage, passage out of John chapter 20. A little bit of context for you. Jesus has died already. He's already resurrected. The tomb is now empty, okay? His, some of his crew hear about it. So they're like, we got to go check it out. I mean, he's been talking to us for a long time about this resurrection thing, but we've never seen it happen. We don't really understand it fully. And now it's happened. They hear the report, and so they run. Some of Jesus' right-hand guys, they run to the tomb. They sprint to the tomb to check out this empty tomb they hear about. John chapter 20, verse 3. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. So the wrappings that had wrapped the bloody body of Jesus, okay? So when he was taken down from the cross, they would have wrapped him up and placed him in the tomb, okay, and laid him out. So they, they go to the tomb. He's, the body's gone, but the, the bloody linen wrappings are there. But that disciple didn't go in, verse 6. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. It's interesting to note that the two main focuses of this passage are what was left behind. Because in life, what's left behind usually is a reflection in some way of where you're moving towards. Did you hear that? In our life, what's left behind usually is a reflection of what we are moving towards. And it's funny, these two guys, they, they, they noted that what was left is the linen wrappings and the, the nicely folded head wrap. Isn't that interesting? Nothing else was really mentioned other than what was left behind. I believe God's going to cause you today to leave some stuff behind. You're going to move forward. That's why I believe for you, for many of you in this room, it is moving day. It is moving day for you. And for some of us, it's the things that feel like death to us. I mean, these linen wrappings, what they represented, they represented death. They were the wrappings that wrapped the, the died, the dead Jesus. But guess what? Now he's the resurrected Jesus. So why would he bring the dead things that represent the dead things in his life with him? When God changes your life and God leads your life and he, he transforms your life, he doesn't want you to bring the death, the dead things with you. He doesn't want to br you to bring the wrappings that represent your past with you. He wants you to leave them where they're supposed to be. That's the purpose of why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday is to say that just like Jesus resurrected, we've also resurrected with him and left the past behind. So I say to you today, it's moving day. And I want to say this, that God has promised you
that you are no longer hostage. You are no longer held hostage to the things, the, the wrappings, the things that were once a part of you. Maybe you feel like right now you feel hostage to some things. I kind of liken this whole process of leaving things behind like luggage, like baggage, like stored up boxes. You know, anybody ever moved a couple times in their life? You've moved houses. You've moved locations. You know, I, 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 I think of this often because when you move, my wife and I have moved 11 times. We moved 11 times. And when you move, you realize two things. Number one, you realize how much stuff you have and didn't realize you had, right? When you move, like how much, how much you should have been on the show hoarders, right? You were like borderline sickness, like level. You have so much, you're afraid to let go. How many afraid to let go people out there? Afraid to let go people. Yeah, I know we all have a little bit of afraid to let go in life. You, you, number one, you realize how much stuff you have and didn't realize. Number two, you realize how much stuff that you have that you don't actually need. How much stuff that you have that you don't actually need. And I realize that's why I likened it to luggage. That's why I liken it to, to boxes and things that, that when we're going from place to place, you can't take everything with you. You can't take all the luggage. You can't take all the boxes. You can't take, you got to let some things go. Let some linen wrapping, wrapping stay behind. Maybe you have trophies, things you don't want. I know, okay, for me, so we moved 11 times in a short amount of time. And, uh, you know, every time we purge a little bit, we let go of some things. But then there's stuff that I don't want to let go. Like, I, I, you know, I like to keep some of the things that remind me of my childhood, right? I mean, how many do? I have a box. Maybe I have two. Maybe I have three. I don't know. Of some things that I want to keep. There's this one thing that I keep that I, pro I have a hard time letting go of, and I'll just say it, and I'll just confess it to you, is that in grade eight, I made this uh, Rafiki mask, the character from The Lion King, out of paper mache. And it won an award, and it ended up being in a play. Because I was really into art. I was really, like, creative in, in, in school. And so I, 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 I won this award, so I kept it. So I, I got this, like, paper mache monkey baboon-looking mask in my closet still. I brought it up because I found it, and I wanted to show my kids, and I left it in my closet. I didn't put it back in the, the box of childhood things. I didn't put it back in. It's got, like, the beard and everything. And I just have a hard time letting it go. I know I don't want to keep carrying it with me everywhere I go, but I don't want to throw it out. Or maybe for you, it's like trophies or photos or, man, I even kept a, <laughs> I gave it to my son. I'm like, I don't want to throw it out. I kept this. I was so proud of myself. I, I made a lunch bag in grade seven home ec class. And I kept it. I don't know why I kept it. I gave it to my son. Some of you are like, man, this guy's weird. But every time I walk in my, my son's room and I see that bag, I'm like, I made that. I sewed that. I mean, it's a very simple thing, but. Some of the things, they just can be hard to let go. How many can relate to what I'm saying right now? Anybody? Or am I a lonely soul up here? Okay, good. But here's the truth. We cannot receive more in life unless we leave something behind. That's the truth. We can't move into what God has for us in life unless we leave some things behind. For some of us, you can liken all this stuff up on stage here to hurt, pain, Trauma, betrayal, sickness, failure, divorce, rel relational dysfunction. Things that have really, really damaged your soul, damaged your life, damaged your way of living. Addictions. There's a host of so many things that we could mention that are represented and the things that we bring into every season, you can't bring all that stuff in every season and fully receive what God wants to give you. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? You, some of us, we're walking around, we don't realize it. I say this all the time. It's like, it's like bad breath. You are the only person that doesn't think you have it. But everyone feels it and sees it and experiences it and smells it. Well, that's kind of like what it's like to bring baggage into every season. You are so used to carrying heavy loads of hurt, betrayal, and pain. You don't want to get close to people because of so-and-so, what happened. And you don't know what I've been through in my past. And we're carrying all these bags, and we can barely fit through doors in life. 
We can barely advance in life, make new relationships in life because we're carrying this stuff. We go into someone's house like, whoa, this person is heavy. They are, all they know is the heavy. All they know is what they've been carrying, but everybody else says, man, like, there's just so many walls. How many know people like that? Walls. Kind of feels like walls sometimes. I can't get in. Like, I can't know this person. There's just so much stuff they're carrying, and they don't know. They're so used to carrying the burden of all this stuff with them. Maybe that's you. I know that John 10.10 is a promise from Jesus. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That, li- that, that word full is abundant life. Like he came to give you a prosperous, abundant life, a happy life, a wealthy life full of health, relational health, physical health, happiness, joy, it doesn't mean you're not going to have suffering. It doesn't mean you're not going to have pain. It doesn't mean you're not going to have trials and tests. But now he's with you in all of those things. But he's promised you an abundant life if you would just be able to receive it. But some of us are so held hostage to all the things that have gone on in our life. And we keep stuffing our bags. So-and-so offended me. So-and-so hurt me. We stuff our bags. We don't deal with the hurt, the pain. And we bring it into every season and wonder why we break down. Wonder why our spiritual body crumbles because we're carrying too much weight that we were never designed to carry. You know Jesus' favorite way to eat eggs? Over easy because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Just preaching the word here. His yoke is always over easy. He doesn't want you to carry things around your neck that are restrictive or restricting you. He wants to remove the chains, break the chains. We sung it earlier. He wants to break those things off of you so you can be free. There's this guy in the Bible that I really, I I love his story. It's a story of redemption, a story of struggle, some struggle I would never want to have in this guy's life, but his name was Jacob. Everyone say Jacob with me. And over 20 years, he struggled. Like, he went through some crazy stuff. He went through some crazy stuff. He was born in a really, like, like divided, like, dysfunctional family, I would say. Most people, when they think of Jacob's life, they don't think about the dysfunction of his family. Even though you read it, they kind of miss that part, gloss over it. But he was kind of born in a dysfunctional way, in a sense. He was a twin of a guy named Esau. Even how they came out of the womb, it was like competition right, right from the, be- the get-go. Like, right from the beginning, there was competition happening. So Jacob wasn't really set up to succeed in a lot of ways. Yet he made some really dumb decisions along the way. And many of us in this room have made some dumb decisions, right? Come on, we all have. We all have. We make dumb decisions. You made one yesterday. Probably. Today on the way to church, you know, you made one. You got mad at your husband. He was taking too long in the bathroom. We got to go to the 845 breakfast. You, you call them a name. I don't know what it was. But Jacob went through some stuff. And it was like luggage that was brought with him for 20 years of his life. But there was a point in time where Jesus was like, okay, that's it. This is your opportunity to let that luggage go. Because that luggage has been defining you. It's been identifying you. It's You found identity in it. Because some of us, when we're carrying stuff around like this, we end up finding identity in it, right? We find identity in the crutch. We find security in sometimes even the sickness, which is scary. It's like people say like, my, they claim it as my sickness, my disease. It's not your disease. It's the devil's disease. You just happen to have it, and we're going to believe that God's going to heal you. Don't claim it as your disease, your thing. It's not yours. It was never meant to be yours. Don't claim it as yours. Don't accept it as yours. We find identity, right, in the things that we struggle with. Even the argument of, I was born this way. Great. That's why Jesus said in John 3, be born again. Because you're going to be born some ways that may not be my original intention, design. Because we're born into a sinful world, a messed up society, a culture. So he said in John 3, be born again. Don't let the way you've been born dictate how you end. Because how you start does not determine how you finish. That's why Jesus said, be born again. So Jacob had this crazy journey. And then I want to read the last, not the last part of his journey, but like a turning point in his journey to you in Genesis chapter 32, 
verse 22. Please follow with me here. During the night, darkness, hard season. Think about the night like a hard season you're going through right now. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, because back then, before the law, they had some funky things happening, okay? He took his two wives, his two servant wives, lots of wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking, which is actually the word sent, he sent them to the other side. So he stayed there, sent them over to the other side. He sent over all his possessions. He let some stuff go, didn't he? Right? He let some stuff go. He was alone. Verse 24, this left Jacob all alone. Sometimes that's what rock bottom feels like. Feels lonely, right? Nobody else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. Maybe not exactly, but somebody's definitely experienced what you're experiencing. Rock bottom feels lonely. He was alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him. This was the angel of the Lord, okay? An angel came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. So all night there's this wrestle going on. How many have felt like in the hard seasons you're wrestling? Man, you're wrestling. It feels like a fight. It's not easy. Verse 25, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Now let's see if he gives up. Because here's the thing. God and the devil are asking the same question. And it goes like this. Will he give up when it's hard? Can I trust you with something amazing while you're in the test, Matt, I trust you to make it through because if I can't trust you to make it through, I can't give you, you cannot receive what I want you to receive. The devil's saying the same thing to you. Are you going to give up? Get a wimp out? Little bunny rabbit Christian? Afraid of a social media attack? Someone didn't like your photo? You going to give up? Someone at work offended you? You going to give up? You going to quit your job? God brought you to that job, didn't he? But now you don't like your job because that person, that manager you work with, you don't like that manager too much. This is a new manager. They don't like you very much. They've rejected you. They've offended you. They've hurt you. They've called you out. See? You're never going to last in any, any job. You have no destiny. Are you going to give up? Are you going to quit? Quit on your marriage? Quit on those friends? Are you going to quit? Quit parenting? It's hard. Are you going to quit? The devil wants you to quit. In the night season, in the dark season, God's asking the same question as the devil. Will you give up? Because it's hard. And now my hip socket's at a place that I'm like, I have every reason to give up even more now. Jacob's thinking in his mind. But he's like, I am not letting you go until something good comes out of this. I've let all my stuff go. I've let all my luggage go. All of my possessions. I'm not giving up until something shifts on the inside of me. Verse 26, then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I kind of think about this. Like, imagine right there, there is like a, a briefcase, okay, right here, somewhere in this location. Imagine there was a briefcase. And I have, I, my life is identified with all of this stuff. I got some bitterness here. I got some betrayal here. I got my past. You know, let's, let's just turn this around here for a second. I've been through some stuff. I feel rejected. Oh, there's a briefcase there. Oh, how, how amazing. But imagine what's in that briefcase is everything I need to pay the ransom to make it worthy to let all this stuff go. All this stuff I'm feeling held hostage to. This is the, this is the message that Jesus came to give us through the act that's represented on this weekend. That you're no longer held hostage. There's a ransom. I paid a ransom so that you don't have to carry this stuff around anymore. So why are you carrying it around? Let me just read this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23. It says this. All of you, slave and free both, were once held hostage in a sinful society. Listen to this. Then a huge sum of that's not money, but a huge sum was paid out for your ransom. You know what that huge sum was? His blood. Died on the cross, his blood was spilled out. His blood was the payment, it was the ransom payment to set you free. 
So please don't, out of old habits, slip back into being or doing what everyone else tells you. Don't slip back to carrying the stuff you don't have to carry anymore. I've given you, I've paid this ransom. There is everything you need in this briefcase. It's a gift. It's free. It's called eternal life. You can take it or you can leave it. You can walk around with this stuff all you want and take it into every season, but you don't have to if you just accept this. So I want to address three things that I feel the Holy Spirit is asking us to let go of in this season. And that's number one, the pain of rejection. If you're taking any notes, I'd encourage you to take some snapshots of the screen. I believe some of you in this room suffering, you've suffered so long with rejection. Maybe from when you were a child, you just feel like every time you get into social situations, you feel like nobody likes you. No matter how much you try, nobody wants to be your friend. Started when you were six years old, seven years old. Started in high school. Something really bad, traumatic happened to you in your life with a group of friends. And now you're like, rejection is just who I am. I am rejected. Maybe some of you in this room, you would say like, I believe that Jesus paid the ransom. I believe I've been following Jesus 40 years. But maybe I have some rejection issues still. Maybe I'm still carrying some baggage around with me. So, you know, because when, when I was in high school, I remember in grade nine, my English teacher saying, you'll never amount to anything. Told me to my face, you'll never amount to anything. So I could take that rejection, kind of like some clothes, and if I don't deal with it, I kind of just stuff it in this suitcase. I just stuff it there because I... I don't deal with it. I don't know how to deal with it. I've never met Jesus yet, so I don't really know how to deal with the rejection other than fight it. And then it's gone, so I kind of forget about it, right? But then it kind of, life gets heavier a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Life gets a little heavy. Because everywhere I go, I'm carrying this rejection with me. I think nobody sees it. Nobody knows the real me. Hey, but listen, if they're human, they all feel the real you. They may not know the real you, but they feel the real you. Why can't I get into that? Why, why can't we be friends? Like, there's just a wall. We can't go deep. Rejection. Let me just show you a little bit of the rejection of Jacob real quick. Genesis chapter 25, a little bit of context for you. I'm going to jump around quick just for time's sake. Verse 22, speaking about the babies together, Jacob and Esau, his twin brother, in, in the mother's womb, okay? Rebecca. The babies jostled each other within her. So there was already a fight happening on the inside. Maybe you got a brother, you got a sister, it's competition, there's a fight. Rebecca says, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger, which is not normal in that culture. That was an abnormal statement because in that culture, in that time, the firstborn son got the blessing from the father and a double portion of all the inheritance. That was the culture. So to say that the older will serve the younger was abnormal. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means red and hairy. Like basically saying, I'm going to name my kid Harry because he came out Harry. So everyone meet Harry. Oh, your name's Harry. How'd you get that name? I was born Harry. That was how they named kids back then. Often how they came into the world was, was connected to the name that was given to them or the destiny that was, uh, that was on their life would, would determine the name that was given to them. They named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, Jacob with his hand grasping at Esau's heel, like already from the beginning. It's like, I don't like you. Grabbing at Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And you know what Jacob means? It's like so depressing. It's like so dysfunctional. Like instead of <clears throat> naming your kid according to who they could be, let's name them to, according to how they started. And listen to Jacob's, the definition of Jacob means grabbing at the heel. In the, in the Hebrew, it's Jacob, grabbing at the heel. It means liar, to assail insidiously, to circumvent, to be a supplanter, to be a heel catcher, deceiver, a cheater, 
So from the very beginning, this guy, like, was identified by rejection. You see that? Identified by rejection. Then we see in chapter 25, verse 27 to 28, as the boys grew up, Esau became the still for hunter. He was like the man's man. And then Jacob was like the mama's boy in the kitchen, baking the goodies. Literally. He was like the cook in the kitchen. This is how it was described in Scripture. Esau was the man's man, skillful hunter. And so there was this, like, difference between the dynamic of father to son with Esau and father to son with Jacob. Jacob wanted the love of his father, but it seemed like Esau was his favorite. So Jacob felt rejected, even though his name already means liar, deceiver. He's just in a, you know, roll with it. He feels rejected by his dad. His mom loves him and is his mama's fa- favorite, but he wants the blessing of the father. And there's no blessing of the father because he's not his dad's favorite. And so here's some more rejection. Just going to stuff it in his bag. Over time, that builds up. Imagine what would happen. Je- jealousy, the pain of that rejection, insecurity. I mean, sometimes being offended feels like rejection. You know what I'm talking about? You get offended. I, I believe that most offense, anyways is just simply something that happens to reveal your heart. You'll often get offended in your head so that your heart can be revealed. Your ability to manage offense really determines your level of maturity. I'm offended all the time. I mean, I'm married. No, for real, any relationship that you have, you're going to get offended, right? And if I don't deal with that offense, it could turn into rejection, and that rejection could turn into oppression. When my wife offends me, 99% of the time, it's a me issue. 99% of the time, it's like God's revealing the heart in me. And so if I get offended and I don't deal with it, I'm just putting that rejection in a luggage bag, and it builds up and builds up and builds up and builds up. How many can feel what I'm talking about? Maybe it's relationship. Maybe your boss offended you at work because they said you did your job wrong and you got so offended because you put your whole heart into it and somehow you made a mistake and you got offended. Now you feel rejected by your boss, unloved and insecure. And if you don't deal with that, guess what? You're stuffing your bags with some more rejection. Then I'll be the first to say, like, I am a horrible husband at times. I don't claim to be the best husband in the world. I don't claim to be the best anything in the world. We're all on a journey. We're all on a pilgrimage journey, aren't we? Getting better and better. Man, sometimes when, when I get offended in relationship, I'm like, it takes me a while to bounce back and, and wonder, man, like, what is up with me? Like, what is up? Why am I responding this way? So we see marriage counselors once a week to help us process that. <laughs> no, but I would encourage everybody to see marriage counselors. Like, you, if you don't tune up your car, you're, you're in trouble. If you only put oil in your car when you're in trouble, your car's already in trouble. Right? People wait until they're in crisis before they get help. They wait till they're in crisis. Listen, listen, I've been a pastor for a long time. They wait till they're in crisis to come to church. Then when all things get better, they disconnect, and then things go back to crisis, they come back to church. I've watched the cyclical. I've, wa- I've watched it. They reach out when they're in trouble, but they don't reach out when they're doing amazing. That's just the nature of human beings, right? But why not reach out all the time when you're not in trouble so you can maintain your vehicle so you have the best engine in any car on your street? Put that gas in. Put that fluid in. Put that oil in all the time. God doesn't want us to bring the baggage. And so we see, again, Genesis chapter 25, verse 30 to 31. One day, Jacob gets this idea from his mom. It's like kind of deceptive. It's kind of his mom's fault in a lot of ways. But, hey, um, I overheard your father Isaac, who's going blind, say to Esau, I want to give you a blessing. I want to give you the spiritual blessing, which was a big deal in that culture. And so go make my favorite curry dish. Go make my favorite dish. It would have been like a curry dish. It would have been considered probably a red doll dish. That's a, it would have been a curry dish. Go make my favorite dish. Feed it to me and I'll give you a blessing. So Esau went out. Rebecca overheard this, told his son Jacob, hey, I hear this is happening. Why don't you go get some food, get some, uh, you know, kill something, kill some game. I'll make Isaac's favorite dish. 
that Esau's supposed to make him. He'll give you your blessing. Here's some animal skin. Put the animal skin on your body so when he touches you, he'll feel the hairiness and think it's Esau because he's going blind. He can't see. And he's going to give you the blessing. So that's what Jacob did. Dressed himself up like his brother to receive a blessing from his father, which is what so many people do in the church. If I can just look like him, sound like him, maybe God will bless me. But that's not what God wants to bless. God wants to bless you. You're the best version of you. God wants to bless you, who you are. Not who someone else is in you, who you are. So Jacob dresses himself up like his brother to receive a blessing from his father, gets the blessing. Esau finds out, freaks out, loses his mind, and says in verse 35 of chapter 27, no wonder, or verse 36, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. Actually, this is the first time. So the first time, he cheats him by taking the spiritual blessing. The second time, the second time he gets the inheritance, right, of the firstborn. Because I didn't show this story, I don't have time. But basically, Esau comes in from a, a hard day at work, and Jacob's making an amazing curry dish at home. And Esau is starving, and he's like, I, I need some food. And Jacob's like, if you give me your firstborn rights, if you give me your inheritance that you get as a legal firstborn, I'll give you this curry. It's curry in a hurry. So good, you'll sell your birthright. That would be a great name of a curry restaurant. You'll, give, you'll forsake all. So he literally gives over his inheritance. He's like, take it. I'm so hungry. Because you do stupid stuff when you're tired and hungry, don't you? You're tired and hungry, you do stupid stuff. <laughs> How many fights happen in married couples in this room when you're tired and hungry? Only one person is willing to confess. Everyone's a liar. <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. So we have the pain of rejection that we kind of carry around in our life. So we got this one hand carrying this, and then, you know, we have the next part of this journey. We have the pain of betrayal. I don't have time to go through all the story, but, man, Jacob not only betrayed his family, betrayed his father, betrayed his brother, betrayed who he was and what his calling was supposed to be. He ended up having to escape for his life because Esau not wanted to kill him. So Rebecca sends Jacob away. Go live with your uncle. Go live with your uncle. Hide away from your uncle. And when Esau calms down, it will all be good. So he goes and lives with his uncle, and then for 20 years, he goes through betrayal after betrayal, even with his own uncle. His wages get changed 10 times. He's given the wrong wife. I mean, very confusing times for Jacob, yet he's just reaping everything he's sown. Because he carried this identity around of betrayal, and every time he did betray, not only did he pack his bags full of betrayal, now he's dealing with betrayal. Think about the last time somebody betrayed you. Maybe they betrayed you or maybe they didn't betray you. Maybe you feel like they betrayed you, but really it was God promoting you. You know that I would say the majority of what feels like betrayal is simply God promoting you. God accelerating you. You feel betrayed. Whether or not you were actually betrayed, it's up for question. But either way, I know God was promoting you. There are friends that you could not take into the next season that you had in the last season. Because sometimes friends can feel like baggage. You're carrying them. They're not carrying you. It's not a two-way two -way street. It's a one-way street, and it's heavy, and it's hard. And sometimes you have to let some people go if you're going to graduate. Sometimes you have to let some things go, but also some people go if you're going to graduate. But betrayal defined Jacob. Now he's got these two bags. He's, de he's dealing with betrayal. He's receiving betrayal, but he's also... He also gave away betrayal. He betrayed his own family. I know for me there's been times when I've felt like super betrayed. And it took me some time to get out of a headspace where I was focused on feeling betrayed to feeling like God promoted me. To feeling like this was actually good. This was for my best. Long term, this was God's best way. Yeah, maybe it didn't have to happen that way. Maybe that wasn't the way it was supposed to go, but it went that way. You know that the reason why Jesus 
got arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane was because of betrayal. His right-hand guy betrayed him for some money, brought the guards to arrest Jesus, which then initiated the cross process. He was betrayed by one of his own. But that was supposed to happen. The betrayal was supposed to happen for promotion. Sometimes the greatest betrayals in your life are the stepping stones to the greatest promotions in your life. Sometimes the times, let's say, you got fired from your job. That was simply a promotion. Now, sometimes it was because of your stupidity. You are a whor- horrible worker. Own it. <laughs> Went silent for a second. Shoot. But that could have been the setup for a promotion. You just don't know until you get through it. Jacob had to come and carry rejection and betrayal throughout the next 20 years of his life. So now 20 years have gone by. And even before this, lived it, lived it. 20 years he's carrying these two luggage bags everywhere he goes. I mean, how many hands do you have? It's hard, right? This slows me down. If I'm at an airport and I have no baggage to carry, I'm fast. I'm quick. When I got bags to carry, I'm slow. Even if they're in the cart, right? Because you're pushing something. You're pushing more weight. It's tiring. You get to the gate and you're like, oh, I'm going to pass out. Anybody ever had that experience before? No? Just me. So you have betrayal and you have the pain of rejection. And then you also have just in general the pain of your past. But here's the thing, though. This is the big one. This represents the first stage of what you have to let go of. All the labels that people have put on you, all the things that have happened in your life, this is, the, this is the big one. This is the big kahuna. This is the hard one. This is a mindset. This is like I'm letting go of everything that once defined me. That story is not my story. The story that I have now is God in my story. It's called his story, his story for a reason. It's his story, not mine. It's his story in me. My history is not defining me. It's not holding me back any longer. Now, because I see what God has done, it becomes his story. And his story can transform people's lives around me. But I got to get rid. I got to let it go if I'm going to move ahead. Because there's something in that briefcase. There's something in that briefcase that is promised. I can actually let this stuff go and win. Because I've found some security in this stuff. And I didn't even say the fact that, hey, like, I'm good. I can be free from my past, but I'm still carrying this around a little bit. I'm afraid to get in relationships because I got some this luggage of betrayal. I don't want to, look, this is standing in front of me. I can't get close to you because betrayal is in front of me. And when you said that thing last week on the phone to me, it triggered me a little bit. I got triggered. Ever heard that word before? I'm triggered. You've triggered me. Somebody said something really offensive on social media. I'm triggered. Right? The sad day we live in. I'm so triggered right now. Like, oh, my gosh. So I'm triggered. So because I'm triggered, guess what I do? I go back to some old stuff, man. And I dig up some stuff that I haven't even thought about for 20 years. I was keeping this for a rainy day. This is like childhood stuff now. And I'm, I forgot about it. But you triggered me so bad. You were bringing memories back to when I was six years old. Hey, and we've gone through something. I'm not minimizing what you've gone through. I'm just showing you this is what we do. And we bring it. I'm going to start carrying this with me again now. I forgot about it. I thought I was, actually, I thought I was free from it. I put my head in the sand. I didn't think about it for years. But you just triggered me, and I'm putting this stuff in this bag. I'm putting this stuff here. And I'm carrying it with me. Let's go back. We're almost done here. Let's go back to the main story. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 to 32. Can I read this to you? We know that there was a wrestling that happened. We know that it was nighttime. We know that Jacob sent all of his stuff over, all of his luggage, all of his baggage. This was a turning point. 
God was inviting Jacob into a turning point moment. You are in a turning point moment. It was moving day for Jacob. He didn't know it yet. God wanted to set him free from everything that held him a hostage in the past. Identity, who he was, all the sin, all the stuff that had been holding him back. So he's at this crossroads moment, and God's like, okay, it's time to give it up. But there's going to be a wrestle. It's going to be dark. It's going to get real hard before it gets real light. It always gets really hard before it gets real light. The enemy is testing you to see how weak you are. God is testing you to see how strong you are. So he's wrestling. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Unless there's something worth leaving behind, I'm not going to let you go. There's something in that briefcase. There's something in this wrestle that I need. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Then it says in verse 27, after he has this wrestle and says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. It says in verse 27 of chapter 32, listen to this. The angel who's represented as God in this moment, says, what is your name? Now, do you think God didn't actually know the name of this man? No, he knew the name. He said, what is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. God never asks you a question he doesn't already know the answer to. He was asking who you are because he wanted you to confess. Because in the name, Jacob is liar, cheater, deceiver, betrayer, supplanter. So when he said his name, Jacob, in that moment, he said, God, I am a messed up, screwed up individual. My name is pride. My name is cheater. My name is deceiver. My name is gossiper. My name is sexually addicted. My name is whatever it is that was going on in his life at that point. When he said his name, he was confessing all that he was. And when you confess, this is why Jesus, this is why Paul said in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. When you confess with your mouth, you release something into the atmosphere that's not meant for you to carry. He said, my name is Jacob. Then he says this, listen to this, verse 28. Your name now, this is the angel, your name now no longer will be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. What do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. And that injury to his hip, you know what that was? It was a sign that he won. It was a sign that he was victorious. You know, when you make it onto the other side of your struggle, you may get onto the other side with a limp. You may get onto the other side with an issue, a scar. That scar speaks to the faithfulness of God, that you fought with God and won. Look, he's still walking even even though he has a limp. But Jacob had to let this stuff go. He had to confess who he was. And now his name was Israel, which, mean, which means God strengthens, which means you fought with God and have prevailed. Jacob meant independence from God. Israel meant dependence on God. When you accept the ransom that has been paid to set you free, you go from independent to dependent. You go from independent, doing your own thing, your own way, being your own God, to all of a sudden letting God set you free from everything that's been holding you back and holding you down. But all you have to do is say yes. It says in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. He purchased our freedom. He purchased. There's something in that briefcase that has paid the ransom off to let me be free of everything that's here. This is like the linen cloths. This is like the linen wrappings. This is like the head wrapping. Jesus didn't bring with it with him for a reason. He didn't walk around with it because it represented death. This represents death in your life. And the whole point of Resurrection Sunday is to unlock in you that there is more to life than living in death. And if you're carrying around this stuff all of your life, you're carrying it around, even if you're a believer in Jesus, maybe some of you got some betrayal, some rejection still happening. That's why you feel like you can't come to church because every time you come to church, you feel judged. 
You feel judged. You feel picked on. You feel like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And you feel judged and you can't get in because you've been betrayed. You've been rejected along the way. There's some past things haunting you. And the thing is, I cannot physically hold all these luggage bags and open that. I can't, I can't do it. It's like impossible. It's, like re- it's really hard to do this. And even as believers, we try to do it. I want a little bit of Jesus, but i got to hold on to this. A little bit of Jesus, but I want to hold on to this. Maybe you're in this room right now and you've never let Jesus into your life. I, I want you to stand for a second. Just as we close, I want you to stand up. Maybe you were brought out by a friend. You have no grid. Maybe this is the first church experience you've had. In a long time, first time, maybe ever, I don't know. But you know you're here for a reason. Let me just tell you, it's not by accident. It's not by coincidence. God wants to do something in your heart today. He wants to open up your life today. He wants to... Open up your mind to think different about your situation. Maybe that betrayal part isn't you. Maybe that rejection part isn't you. But you're still carrying some past around. It's heavy. It's hard. If you want to receive it, you have to leave it. If you want to receive what God has for you in this season, you've got to leave it behind. Because you know Why? Because in this box is everything that you need. In this box is the ransom that he gave on the cross through his blood 2,000 years ago to pay the debt that all that stuff that you were carrying around gave you. He paid it off in one moment on the cross. And he said, it is finished. I have set the record straight. I have done everything I need to do. All you have to do now is receive it. 